0: Section 51 of Shakespeare Identified This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano Shakespeare Identified in Edward de Vere by J. Thomas Looney. Chapter 18 Conclusion. We called Dante the melodious priest of middle age Catholicism. May we not call Shakespeare the still more melodious priest of a true Catholicism, the universal church of the future and of all times? Carlyle Heroes. We may now bring our labors to a close. WITH A REVIEW OF THE COURSE OUR INVESTIGATIONS HAVE TAKEN, AND A SUMMARY OF THEIR RESULTS. HAVING EXAMINED BOTH THE INTERNAL AND EXTERNAL CONDITIONS OF THE OLD THEORY OF Shakespearean AUTHORSHIP, WE FOUND THAT THE WHOLE PRESENTED SUCH AN ACCUMULATION AND COMBINATION OF ANOMALIES AS TO RENDER IT NO LONGER TENABLE. WE THEREFORE UNDERTOOK THE SOLUTION OF PROBLEM OF AUTHORSHIP THUS PRESENTED beginning with the characterization of shakespeare drawn from a consideration of his writings a characterization embracing no less than eighteen points and involving a most unusual combination we proceeded to look for the dramatist using the form of the venus and adonis stanza as a guide we selected one elizabethan poem in this form which seemed to bear the greatest resemblance to shakespeare's workmanship the author of this poem Edward de Vere was found to fulfill in all essentials the delineation of Shakespeare with which we set out. We next found that competent literary authorities, and testifying to the distinctive qualities of his work, spoke of his poems in terms appropriate to Shakespeare. An examination of his position in the history of Elizabethan poetry showed him to be a possible source of the Shakespeare literature, whilst an examination of his lyrics Revealed a most remarkable correspondence, both in general qualities and in important details, with the other literary work which we now attribute to him. Turning next to the records of his life and of his family, we found that these were fully reflected in the dramas, the contents of which bear pronounced marks of all the outstanding incidents and personal relationships of his career, whilst the special conditions of his life at the time when these plays were being produced were just such as accorded with the issuing of the works his death we found was followed by an immediate arrest of shakespearean publication and by a number of other striking evidences of the removal of the great dramatist whilst a temporary revival of publication a few years later was of such a character as to give additional support to the view that the author was then dead finally we have shown that the sonnets are now made intelligible for the first time since their appearance, and that the great dramatic tour de force of the author is nothing less than an idealized portraiture of himself. Summed up we have 1. The Evidences of the Poetry 2. The General Biographical Evidence 3. The Chronological Evidence 4. The Posthumous Evidence 5. The Special Arguments a the all's well argument b the love's labour's lost argument c the othello argument d the sonnet's argument e the hamlet argument it is the perfect harmony consistency and convergence of all the various lines of argument employed in the overwhelming mass of coincidences that they involve that give to our results the appearance of a case fully and we believe unimpeachably proven we have by no means exhausted the subject however not only does much remain to be said but it may be that in taking so decisive a step involving the readjustment of more than one long established conception some statements have been made that later will have to be modified or withdrawn working too amongst the mass of details in what was previously an unfamiliar domain it is possible that serious errors have slipped in. In arguments like the present, however, whole lines of subsidiary evidence may break down, and yet leave the central contention firmly and unassailably established. It would not in the least surprise us, moreover, if particular items of evidence, much more conclusive than any single argument we have offered, should be forthcoming, or even if it should be pointed out that we have blunderingly overlooked some vital matter from experience in the course of our inquiries we have no fear that any such oversight will appreciably affect the validity of the argument as a whole for the detection of oversights hitherto has but brought additional strength to our position and so frequently has this occurred in the past that it is difficult to think of it having any other effect in the future only one conclusion then seems possible namely that the problem of the authorship of Shakespeare's plays has been solved, and that all future inquiry is destined to furnish but an accumulating support to the solution here proposed. It will be seen that only in a general way has it been possible to adhere, in our last chapters, to the plan of investigation outlined at the start, in tracing indications of the life and personality of Edward de Vere in the writings of Shakespeare much of the ground mapped out for separate succeeding stages of the inquiry has been covered the sixth stage was to gather together corroborative evidence and this is largely furnished by the last two chapters in which the poetic and the dramatic self-revelation of the poet are respectively dealt with the seventh stage to develop personal connections if possible between the new author and the old authorship including the man william shakespeare is covered by those biographical chapters which treat of arthur golding the translator of ovid anthony Munday, the playwright Lily oxford's private secretary and shakespeare's only model in comedy and lastly henry rothlessly earl of southampton to whom the shakespeare poems are dedicated who is known as the munificent friend of william shakespeare and in whom the earl of oxford manifested a special interest THE TASK WHICH WE SET OUT TO ACCOMPLISH HAS THEREFORE BEEN PERFORMED IN SUFFICIENT ACCORDANCE WITH THE ORIGINAL PLAN. HOWEVER UNWORTHY OF SO GREAT A THEME THE MANNER OF PRESENTING THE CASE MAY BE, IT IS IMPOSSIBLE NOT TO FEEL GRATIFIED AT THE GOOD FORTUNE THAT HAS ATTENDED OUR EXCURSION INTO A DEPARTMENT THAT IS NOT ESPECIALLY OUR OWN. IN THE BRIEF MOMENT OF CONSCIOUS EXISTENCE WHICH LIES BETWEEN THE TWO IMMENSITIES, DESTINY HAS HONORED US WITH THIS PARTICULAR TASK. And though it may not be the work we could have wished to do, we are glad to have been able to do so much. The matter must now pass out of our hands, and the case must be tried in public by means of a discussion in which expert opinion must play a large part in the formation of a definitive judgment. Whether such discussion be immediate or deferred, we have no doubt that it must come at some time or other, and that, when it does come, the ultimate verdict will be to proclaim Edward de Vere seventeenth earl of oxford as the real author of the greatest masterpieces in english literature we venture therefore to make an earnest appeal first of all to the thoughtful sections of all classes of the british public and not merely of the literary classes to examine and even to insist upon an authoritative examination of the evidence adduced the matter belongs of course to the world at large but england must bear the greater part of the responsibility and her honour is involved in seeing that a question of the name and fame of one of the most illustrious of her mortal dead the one name which england has stamped most unquestionably upon the intellectual life of the human race is not given over to mere literary contentiousness we are bound however to make a special appeal to those whose intellectual equipment and opportunities fit them for the examination of the argument to approach the problem in an impartial spirit it will not be an easy thing for stratfordians or baconians of many years standing to admit that they were wrong and that the problem has at last solved itself in a way contrary to all their former views to sincere admirers of shakespeare however those who have caught something of his largeness of intellectual vision and fidelity to fact the difficulty of recognizing and admitting an error will not prove insuperable whilst their power of thus aiding in a great act of justice will be immense. In addition to securing the recognition of Edward de Vere as the author of Shakespeare's works, much remains to be done in the way of lifting the load of disrepute from his memory, and winning for his name the honour that is his by right, that gentle spirit, as we believe Spenser to have described him, and as his own verses reveal him, courting so well as the expression does with our gentle Shakespeare has remained for too many years under the unlifted shadow whatever his faults may have been we have in him a soul awake at every point to all that touches human life all high aspiration and endeavour find their encouragement in his work in no phase of human suffering or weakness but meets in him a kindly and sympathetic treatment even when his mockery is most trenchant the man whom nature's self had made to mock herself in truth to imitate with kindly counter under mimic shade the terms in which we have shown Spenser speaks of de vere in which so accurately describes shakespeare could be no prolificate the irregularities to which the shakespearean sonnets bear witness are beyond question rooted in sincerity of character and tenderness of heart we do not condone such but we are bound to draw a very marked distinction between this mere dissoluteness all that shakespeare has written and every line of de vere bespeaks a man who even in the lowest depths of pessimism and in his moments of bitterest cynicism had kept alive the highest faculties of his mind and heart no man of persistently loose life can do this and therefore the establishing of the identity of edward de vere with shakespeare demands the relinquishing of all those superficial judgments that might have been allowed to pass unchallenged so long as Edward de Vere was supposed to be a person of no particular moment in the history of his country or the world. Until now, the world has moreover seen and known in him only the eccentricity and turbulence of Hamlet, the real Hamlet, tender-hearted and passionate, whose deep and melancholy soul broods affectionately upon the great tragedy of human life, and who yet preserves the light of intellect and humor whose noble heart breaks at last but who carries on his fight to the last moment of life when the pen not the sword drops from his fingers is the hamlet which we must now see in edward de vere as he stands before the world as shakespeare the fret and trouble of his objective life in the elizabethan age have hung around his memory for over three hundred years all this we believe is about to end and the period of his purgation past we may confidently hope that entering into the full possession of his honors a time of still richer spiritual influence awaits his continued existence in the hearts and lives of men the fatness of these percy times against which his whole career was a protest has settled more than ever upon the life of mankind and the culminating product of this modern materialism is the world war that was raging whilst the most of these pages were being penned a war which has been the most insane gamble for material power that the undisciplined instinct of domination has ever inflicted upon a suffering humanity threatening the complete submergence of the soul of civilized man yet amongst the projects of after the war reconstruction that were being set afoot even whilst it was in progress materialistic purposes everywhere prevailed in education for example were especially spiritual aims should have dominated commercial and industrial objects were chiefly considered and now that the conflict is over the entire disruption of social existence is threatened by material interests and antagonisms against this the spirit of shakespeare again protests his prophetic soul still dreaming on things to come points to a future in which the human spirit and its accessory instruments and institutions must become the supreme concern of man The squandering of his own material resources, though unwise in itself, was the soul's reaction against the growing mammon worship of his day. And the fidelity with which he represents in his plays the chivalries of feudalism is the expression of an affection for those social relationships which minister to the finer spirit in man. He stands then for an enlarged and enriched conception of spiritual things, a conception embracing the entire range of man's mental, and moral faculties, from gayest laughter and subtle playfulness, to profoundest thought and tragic earnestness of purpose. He stands for these things, and he stands for their supremacy in human life, involving the subordination of every other human concern to these spiritual forces and interests. More than ever in the coming years shall we need the spirit of Shakespeare to assist in the work of holding the politician and the materialist, Ever maneuvering for ascendancy in human affairs, to their secondary position in subordination to, and under the discipline of, the spiritual elements of society. We cannot, of course, go back to Shakespeare's medievalism, but we shall need to incorporate into modern life what was best in the social order and social spirit of the Middle Ages. The prophetic soul of the wide world fills its vision, not with a state of more intense material competition and increased luxury with a social order in which the human heart and mind will have larger facilities for expansion in which poetry music the drama and art in all its forms will throw an additional charm over a life of human harmony and mutual helpfulness in which therefore shakespeare our ever-living poet will be an intimate personal influence when the heroes of our late titanic struggle will be either forgotten or will only appear dimly in the pages of history His works do not and can never supply all that the human soul requires to satisfy the deepest needs of mankind the shakespearean scriptures must be supplemented by the other great scriptures of our race and altogether they will only meet our full demands in so far as they succeed in putting before us the guiding image of a divine humanity in this work however shakespeare will always retain a foremost place speaking no longer from behind a mask from under a pseudonym, but in his own honored name, Edward de Vere, seventeenth Earl of Oxford, will ever call mankind to the worship of truth, reality, the infinite wonder of human nature, and the eternal greatness of man. End of section fifty one. Recording by Greg Giordano, Newport Ritchie, Florida.